Hi, this is Sandy Rios, and it's such a pleasure every time we turn on the mic to talk to you. I really appreciate your feedback. And actually, I have to tell you, I think today's show you're going to really enjoy because I, I really enjoyed doing it. I was sitting across the desk from my guest, which is one of my favorite ways to do interviews. And it just so happens that the dean of the law school at Liberty, uh, Morris Tan, is Korean by birth. And so there was a lot to talk about, about things that happen in that region of the world, in China, in uh, North Korea, uh, ending in Cambodia. And as we started to talk, uh, a lot of things came out that I did not expect. So um, because I've traveled extensively in those areas also, Morris and I just had a lot of things to share that I think you will find fascinating from what really justice is, how important justice is, and when you don't find justice, what it does to you. And so I, I really do think you'll want to stay tuned today. And by the way, we will be talking about the brutalities uh, taking place that took place in Cambodia and that are taking place now in North Korea. And that, you know, that kind of goes down to the nut of the sanctity of human life. I have to say that God created life, and he was really clear way back in the first book of the Bible. He said that we mustn't shed innocent human blood. We don't have that right. We should not do it. Now, just a caution, there are exceptions. The death penalty is allowed for in Scripture if it's a corporate decision, not you deciding someone should die. Uh, but in, and also in times of war, there's an exception to this because, uh, because God has <clears throat> laid that provision. But for us to take randomly uh, a human life, another life, that's a very serious thing to God, and to certainly to kill the most helpless, defenseless people in our country, like babies in their mother's womb, is egregious. We are pro-life in every way that God lays it out. And let me say that that is what makes me proud that Preborn has decided to come along, cite us, and sponsor the show. We're very grateful. And what they do in order to save lives is they provide ultrasounds for women who are finding themselves pregnant and they're not sure if they want to keep the baby. An ultrasound reveals, you know, often the sex of the baby. You can see the heartbeat. You can even see its features sometimes. It's just amazing. And when uh, moms see that, over half of them just cannot bring themselves to terminate the pregnancy. And as I said before, this is not like a trick. It's just reality. It's reality. They're seeing their baby for the first time. That's what preborn does, and they've had tremendous success saving so many babies. In fact, 200,000 at least have been saved. And by the way, many of you have all, uh, participated in this already and have saved some lives. We're confident of that. It's $28 for one ultrasound, and that helps one mom who's just confused about the baby inside her and one baby inside of her. And so $28 could save a life. Uh, so if you'd like to help us, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. Your gift is tax deductible. And of course, if you can afford more, if you've been really blessed and you're, you're doing well financially, $140 gives five babies a chance at life. And so um, I hope that you'll do that. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy. And on the practical side of things, we are just in our second month of, uh, of podcasting. And uh, we have set up a phone line, uh, 662-821-2040. This is our way to communicate. Since it's not a live radio show, which is what I'm used to, I can't talk to you, but I can hear what you have to say. I, have a, I can hear your questions. I can hear your comments. And I plan to comment <clears throat> on those on the air. So it's 662-821-2040. 
or you can write me at sandy at afr.net. Do it the old-fashioned way. We have a website, sandyrios.com, which will give you more information about the show and about the things that we're getting ready to do somewhere, someplace. Uh, we're available at Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, Getter, Truth Social, YouTube or Rumble. And the podcast can be heard on all the major podcast platforms. Our home base is AFR.net. And I always say the easiest thing to do is download on your smartphone the AFR app, AFR app. Okay, so I think, you know, I think that's everything. I hope now you'll sit back and relax and enjoy the next episode of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice, not social justice, but God's justice, what's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association, a pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. All right, Sandy Rios here with you. We're on the campus of Liberty University, and now we're at the School of Law, which, uh, you know, uh, Shannon Bream is, I think, the famous graduate from the School of Law at Liberty, but I'm sure there are others. And there's a new dean here that I met in Washington, D.C. a little bit over a year ago, and we had the most fascinating conversation. And since that time, I thought, I've got to interview him. So now I'm in his office. He's sitting across from me. His name is Morse. Tan, and he is the dean of the School of Law, Liberty University. Thank you for joining me, Moores. I'm so glad to be able to join you. I'll throw in Kerry Kupek, who's also a graduate of Liberty and the School of Law, oh, cool. specifically, and I think she's doing all sorts of exciting things with Fox News Washington, D.C. So. That's really, that's, that's wonderful, Morris. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, and we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk to you about you, <laughs> uh, because, <laughs> <laughs> because I want to set the table here. You have such an incredible resume. One of the things, of course, that caught my mind is that you got your uh, Juris Doctorate at Northwestern University School of Law. Chicago is our hometown. So the first question I have for you is, did you study under Bernadine Dorn? I did not. Do you know who I'm talking about? I think so. There was a little bit of a kerfuffle when I was a student there when another student had um, pointed out certain things in Professor Dorn's background that... um, seemed to make the present dean at Northwestern at that time entirely unperturbed by it and was basically standing by um, Professor Dorn, uh, even though the student seemed to be rather um, bent out of shape about um, some things in Professor Dorn's background. Yes, well, I'll fill in a blank or two mm-hmm. because I did, I, was, uh, I did talk radio in Chicago for years. Morris. And during that time, of course, uh, the Weather Underground, I go back a long way before Chicago, the Weather Underground was a a terrorist group in the 70s and 80s, 70s mostly. And uh, Bernadine Dorn was the head. She was the head of it. And uh, her husband, Bill Ayers, was the other head of it. And they were both like uh, kids of privilege. Uh, um, One of them, his dad was the Commonwealth, the the chairman of the board for Commonwealth Edison, which is the huge, you know, electric company in, in Illinois. Uh, and so these privileged kids became terrorists. They bombed the Capitol. They 
Uh, they they did so many horrible things, and they actually were on the run underground for years. And when you hear them talk, it is uh, in those old tapes, which I know well. It's just very very f- frightening. Uh, they ended up raising, you know, this uh, this radical law professor out in San Francisco who's now the DA. Ch- Bo- Bodine, Chase Bodine, I think his name is, because he is, his mother went to prison, and so they raised him. They're really bad people. They're really bad people. Uh, and I could go m- more into that, but it's shocking to me that Bernadine is on the staff there. So what started out as a joke now has gotten very serious. <laughs> but I, that's who she is. All right, you also went to Wheaton College, which is my back, that's in my backyard. Uh, my son went to Wheaton, graduated. So what did you what did you study at Wheaton? I was a biblical and theological studies major there and okay. did a Spanish minor and did an accelerated Those master's. two go together, I'm sure. Like <laughs> <laughs> I was reading a Spanish Bible at times, so that's no one kidding. way I brought them together. <laughs> and it's an I, interesting combination. <laughs> yes. I did an accelerated master's in interdisciplinary studies as well okay. um, there. So All right. um, I had a wonderful five years there. Yeah, that's just like, you know, that's home. I mean, I was I sang at the dedication of the Billy Graham Center. That's how, oh, long, that's how far back yes, I go. Yes. 1979, uh, as I recall. Probably. <laughs> or I thereabouts. Don't <laughs> it's, it's all a, a phase to me, but I, yes. And when as, you were three years old. When I was three, yes. Yeah, okay. I was, my, mother, my mother set me up on the stage and I sang. <laughs> right. That did happen when I was little, but it wasn't 1979. Uh-huh. Uh, so. Stanford University also, lots of things. Uh, you also served as the first Asian-American ambassador at large in U.S. history. Uh, and I don't know what that means. What did you do in that job? So um, being ambassador at large doesn't mean that you're at large in the sense that you're um, being wanted for something. Uh, oh. <laughs> what it does mean. <laughs> Your poster does mean. wasn't everywhere. Okay, yeah, that's right. 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 Uh, ambassador. So. Uh, there are three types of ambassadors, basically. One is for a country. That's best known, like the ambassador to Britain yes. or something along those lines. Right. And then the second is an ambassador to an organization like the UN ambassador, right? And the third category is this ambassador at large, which means you're taking a particular subject area okay. and you're responsible for that around the whole world. Okay. So wherever so that's that, that, wherever that thread goes, that's where you follow, exactly. and it could be anywhere. Exactly, yes. We're going to come back to that, mm-hmm. uh, but I want to continue just a little bit about, uh, lay the groundwork for who you are, Morris, and I, you have a great story, but I don't remember it. You know, you told me, <laughs> you told me this when we, you told me a lot about yourself, and I enjoyed it so much uh, in D.C., but you are of Korean descent, but you were raised here, right? Yes. So okay. I was a baby. I was less than two years old when our family came to the U.S., and so I grew up here in the U.S., and, you know, one of the things I said in my confirmation hearing uh, is that the fact that there's a position like this at all is a testament to the goodness and greatness of this country because it's a unique position. It's never existed in in any other government uh, in this configuration anytime, anywhere else, and uh, and. Also, so it's dealing with mass atrocity crimes, genocide. Oh, crimes the mass! Against, you're talking about the uh, ambassador at large position. Yes, yes. yes. Um, it, it deals with mass atrocity crimes, so genocide crimes against humanity, war crimes, and you know, my family came over to this country with like what eight hundred dollars in our pockets, and we were staying um, because we didn't have a place to North live. North or South Korea? Uh, South Korea. Okay. And um, we were staying with. Uh, couple and a family 
we uh, the Ramirez's. Uh, Spanish, we affectionately, we affectionately, the Spanish, okay. <laughs> we affectionately referred to them Uncle Frank and Aunt Janet <laughs> and uh, in Campbell, California. But that's where we were staying when we first came over because we didn't have a place to stay uh, ourselves. But that's how it started. And where else but in America is there a position like this? And where else but in America can an immigrant family... Uh, you know, I didn't, you know, there was a media source who asked me, was it your dream from when you were a kid to serve as an ambassador <laughs> to the United States? I said, no, I, I just thought those positions were for other people. I didn't <laughs> think it had anything to do with me. So, Well, I think, uh, would you agree, when God calls people, they often have no idea where they're going. Yeah. I think more than not, they, yes. it's not, doesn't come with their per, from their personal ambition, although yes. sometimes God merges that. Yes. Uh, but it just, uh, he takes us places we never expected. We wouldn't have even dreamed or thought of, according to Ephesians, but yes. I think that's what God has done with you. I can't make sense of my life yeah. apart from the <laughs> author of it, and <laughs> it's not my story. <laughs> yeah, I just play a role in a much bigger story, yeah, and absolutely. it's his story. Um, it's the Lord's story, yeah. and so yeah. uh, and it's much better that way. Yeah. It's, it's yes. much better that I'm not the captain of my own boat and I'm you know, not the I'm not the captain of my own destiny or what have you. So. You know, I've often this is a sidetrack. Oh, I've got to get me back on in a minute. But mm-hmm. I I've often struggled when I've been in leadership positions, uh that, you know, we have to establish a five year plan or ten year plan or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've always struggled with that because I've never lived I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just that as a Christian I've always just I like to plan and I work really hard, but I don't I just think kind of ingrained in me is that I have no control over what's going to happen five years from now. And I, I think that, you know, God is in his sovereignty. I just think we, I just struggle with that. How do you, how do you think about that? Because well, you, you know, must have to do something like that here. There, there's a saying that goes, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> yeah, okay, there, <laughs> there you go. See, that's how I feel too. And, and, and so, you know, uh, Sufficient, you know, don't, don't be anxious about tomorrow because sufficient is the evil for the day. Yeah. Um, and, and the truth of the matter is, you know, we don't, we don't really know. It, it's been said that if, you, if any human being knew five minutes in the future, that human being would rule the world. Because imagine five minutes before a nuclear attack, five yeah. minutes before a stock market crash, yeah. five minutes before, you know, you name it. But the truth of the matter is we don't even know five seconds, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ahead. No, we don't. But there's a God who's already in the future. He's in all times already. Sure. So the future is like history to him. Yes. He already knows it yes. with his divine foreknowledge. Yeah. And in fact, he knows all things. Yes. And in fact, he does rule the world and the universe and everything in there. And if that's true, and it is then we're awfully small, we're awfully finite in so many ways. And uh, it's not to say that we can't plan, but I think we should be seeking for his plan, right? Right, right. And we'd be... And flexible uh, and like crazy. I agree with that, Because it's never too. what we thought. I, I agree with that, too. Yeah. You know, and I also just want to say, uh, <laughs> before, I, before I get back on track, uh, that I think of, you know, the, um, the admonition of the, the parable about the, the lamps and the oil uh, the the Proverbs thirty uh, woman about her planning and making sure she has plenty. So uh, I am certainly I want to just say because people trust you when you speak, and I'm not saying we should not plan. People that don't plan drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of there's kind of a little 
audacious to get too far out over your skis and to understand that uh, tomorrow might be very different than what you had in mind. Yeah, yeah I, I think we try to commit our plans to the Lord, hold them loosely, and also being willing to you know, be humble in the midst of that, not presume. You know, the book of James talks about don't sit there boasting about, you know, in the future I'm going to go and do this and go do that. No, say Lord willing, because there's a sovereign who can override anything and everything. Absolutely. You know, the Apostle Paul thought he was going to Asia Minor until he got the Macedonian call, (laughs) you know. Exactly. And so um, I think we need to be, uh, you know, there's, I think planning can be a good exercise and a good thing to do, but we have to always be ruled and open to being overruled by the one who's the sovereign overall. Right, exactly. I think Mm -hmm. so too, Morris. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, well, let me just think. Let's go back to your ambassador-at-large position. Mm-hmm. So what was that niche that they gave you? What was that thing that you were supposed to track uh, worldwide? Yeah, these are mass atrocity crimes, genocide, crimes against humanity, and war crimes. These are some of the worst mass crimes that happen in the world. Um, think of, say, the Rwandan genocide. Uh, think, for example, the crimes against humanity and other mass atrocity crimes that are going on um, in Xinjiang province and other places um, committed by the Chinese Communist Party. Think think of the former Yugoslavia and what was happening there. Uh, There's all sorts of different examples, but we're talking about when there's large-scale crimes that are happening, impacting many people, Um, And in a lot of ways, it was a front row seat to seeing human depravity. But the good part of it is that I could try to do something about it and try to bring a measure of justice, either in preventing, mitigating, or providing accountability and addressing uh, these mass atrocity crimes that that have been happening all over the world. Let me ask you uh, your thoughts about Cambodia. I was in Cambodia a number of years ago, and visited the S21 prison where they placed the intellectuals, the writers. uh, And actually, I don't know if you've seen this, Morse, you probably have, but when you go into that so-called museum, it's not, well, this is, it's been a long time since I've been there, so things could have changed. But it's an old school that they turned into a prison, and they had these metal beds, uh, and they're still in place, and you could actually see stains on the floor, like blood stains. And then there was, there would be a big photo of whoever was in that bed, when they were in the bed, in the to- in the torture devices that were used. And, of course, they were the killing fields and the skulls piled up, and we saw where they would th- bury people alive. And the, the cloth, the clothing was still in the mud. You could see it. It was, it was one of the—it was so hard. They have a museum where they, they would take pictures of the people before they executed them from the side, from the front, and notate who they were. And um, so when I was in Cambodia— one thing that I was told by people that I met with, that, that there had been no justice. And the, they said, because there's been no justice, no one has ever been brought to account. We live next door to Khmer Rouge, the Red Cambodians. We work with them, and they may have killed my family members, but there's been no retribution. As an attorney and as a person who's been in the business of uh, just looking to see if there's been justice in these occasions. What can you say, first of all, about the need for that to happen and why? What difference does it make? It was so many years ago. And then secondly, specifically about Cambodia. 
So it was this office, the Office of Global Criminal Justice, which used to be called the War Crimes Office, that set up the extraordinary chambers in the courts of Cambodia uh, to try to bring a measure of justice. Which has been in the news recently. Yeah, multiple yeah. people okay. have been convicted through that, including the he- head of SL21, uh, Tulslang. And uh, this, is, uh, this is an extraordinary story. It was somebody who was, uh, his alias was Doik, and Doik was the head of this very place that you're talking S21. about. S21. Yes, S21. And there were all these horrible atrocities that took place there. He was convicted. But the part of the story that is not told is after he had committed these atrocities, he wandered into this village where there are these Christians. And he met them. They didn't know who he was. They brought him in. They befriended him. And he came to Christ. And he disavowed all that he did before. He threw himself in front of S21 and was bitterly crying and weeping and disavowing the horrific crimes that he had presided over. There were consequences. He was convicted. He did spend the latter part of his days in prison. And, um, you know, the extraordinary uh, chambers in the courts of Cambodia was wrapping up during my time. And I was going to go with the original ambassador uh, to help with the wrapping up of it and to try to ensure that the archives were preserved and the records were preserved for for history and for posterity. And I actually wanted to go visit Doik because I wanted to see this life transformed by the power of God unto salvation, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to meet with him and talk with him. Um, He died recently. He went home to be with the Lord. But he did have this remarkable transformation. And he actually confessed to his crimes. You know, it's I'm tearing up with you. I'll tell you why. <laughs> because when I was there, the Christians told me about him. And I couldn't find any record of it. I looked online because I was recently been writing a book, actually. And I, I couldn't find a record of that. And so I couldn't be specific. And because we were working through an interpreter, I didn't remember the name. You know, it's been many years. And you've just confirmed what I, they told me. Because at that time, and this has been, a, I was there a long, long time ago. I don't think there had been any convictions except that he was the only one who had come out and confessed, and they told me he'd become a Christian. It was so moving. So I thank you for that story and more detail about what happened to him. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. So, yes. but, but more uh, in the issue of justice, would you agree, as an attorney and as a Christian more than that, because it gives you wisdom in your judgments, that justice has to take place for mental health to be good in a society? Yes. Uh, To me, I think of justice is to to law and to society uh, in its realm what health is to medicine and healthcare in its realm. Um, Justice, biblically, it's right relationship, and there is sort of a preventative day-to-day aspect of it, too. But there's also a corrective, retributive aspect. There's also a restorative aspect of it as well. These are a number of different facets of biblical justice, and it's a major theme 
in the scriptures. <clears throat> and it is so important for uh, shalom, well-being, which is uh, the biblical word for peace. But you have these things interwoven in the scriptures where in order to have deep well-being, there must also, as you're alluding to, there must also be justice. And there, there's a heart cry in, inside yes. of humans for justice but there, but that runs across the world. It's misdefined uh, now. It's so defined so in such a perverted way that people long for justice, but they what they're calling justice is not justice. I always say not, that's not God's justice. Yes. God's justice yes. doesn't have anything to do with color yes. or race or sex, nothing. Yes. It has to do with what's right and what's wrong, and we long for that. So when people get away, like a, if, a, if a John Wayne Gacy, the mass murderer, or Jeffrey Dahmer never gets punished, it bothers us. If your, your son has been killed brutally, you know, and, and if you want to forgive, that's, that's, as a Christian, a very good thing, but there's still needs to be justice unless yes. God shows mercy. Yes, you know? yes. And it gives us peace of mind. And mm-hmm. even if you're the criminal, mm-hmm. you need justice. Mm-hmm. for your. If there's any redemption right. going to be, right. you have to have justice. Yes. Something that is a mistaken notion is that somehow mercy obviates the need for justice, that mercy makes justice unnecessary. And God doesn't work like that. Uh, where that it, it tells us in the scriptures, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man sows, that also will he reap. Having said that, he can have a certain tempering mercy for the justice that happens, and there could be a justice leavened with mercy, but they are not, they are not contradictory exactly. sorts of things, and someone could be forgiven by God and by the people against whom they committed it, but there can also be some just consequences that can be there concurrently. And this, these are thought to be uh, notions that are in opposition to each other. That is not the teaching of the scriptures. No, I, yeah. I thank you for making that clear because I, I, of course, I believe you're right. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Wow, well, that was quite uh, a few minutes with uh, Dean Morstan of Liberty University. By the way, we have a part two with him, and we'll tell you about that later. But for now, I've asked my husband, Bruce, to join me. He was a former, he is a former FBI agent and also an attorney. Bruce, did you ever, I'm just curious, if you ever learned in law school anything about uh, the need for justice or, or the whole notion of mercy? Did you ever talk about that in law school? Uh, not that I recall, certainly not in the uh, vein that uh, Dean Tan spoke of it, uh, being biblical, being God's justice. Uh, the only thing we'd ever talk about is philosophy, maybe, of justice, but um, certainly not in the same vein as, as he discussed. Isn't that interesting? Because that's a, that's a thing that comes from Scripture. It comes from the knowledge of God, and I guess people just aren't, they don't understand that if they don't know him. Yeah. Uh, when I went to law school, even though it was 40 years ago already, you never heard any mention of God. Um, it was very secular. In fact, um, we had a girl in our class who once in a while would raise somewhat biblical, uh, she'd speak in biblical terms, and I, she was mocked by the other students. Well, isn't that something? And can you imagine what it's like now? I can't. I can't even imagine. And I have to tell you that 
going to the dean of the law school's office gave me shivers because I've, <laughs> I've never been called into the dean's office of a law school that it wasn't some kind of problem. So I was thankful that we were there to so interview we, Dean Tan. <laughs> yeah, so we're in the dean's office of the law school, yeah, and was, you're sitting cowering thinking you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, right? I was waiting for it to go on academic <laughs> probation or something. You know what, Bruce, that was, I cannot tell you if, I, if it didn't come across in the interview how moved I was to hear him talk about that Cambodian uh, soldier, the, the leader of the S-21 pr- prison who uh, had committed all these atrocities that I described, at least not even in detail to him, what I had seen. And to have this man wander into a group of Christian Cambodians and become a Christian and then... Um, confess his sins and want to be punished. I, I told you, I my Christian Cambodian friends at the time uh, told me all about this, uh, but I never, I could not find it anywhere, and I thought, I just, I can't speak about that until I, at least in, in the most general ways, and so it was just incredible for me to hear, to give his name and the circumstances. I remember you talking to me about this several years ago and saying, you know, they this person was never came to justice, was never brought to justice. Uh, um, and now coming to this realization that actually he not only got justice, but he saw the light well, and voluntarily yep. wanted his punishment. Right. Phenomenal. It really, actually phenomenal. It really is. And so that time in Cambodia was uh, fascinating. Bruce, you know, that's a country we don't talk about much. I think of... Um, the Khmer Rouge, the communist Cambodians marching into Phnom Penh, uh, and there's a big there's a restaurant up on with a balcony. It's got this uh, big like colonial rails that you can see through. They're white, like like Britain, and the correspondents, like our friends. We, you and I, both know a lot of journalists. I think of our good friend Val Mazinga, who worked for the Chicago Tribune. Ron Yates, uh, who was a Vietnam correspondent. Sitting, that's where they used to go and re- and file their reports in the old-fashioned way. And then they'd stand there and, and they'd have drinks and talk and share information. Well, I was there uh, when I was in Cambodia. And as we looked over, we could see that street where the Khmer Rouge marched in. And this was after Vietnam. It's after the Americans withdrew from Vietnam. And so the communist poison was just unleashed. And as the red Cambodians came marching down that street, the Cambodians flocked around them, Bruce, thinking that they were their, uh, that they were going to be their their uh, deliverers. And of course, that was not true. Uh, they came in and instantly started killing people. They would they started they used bullets at first, and then uh, after that, it, it was costing too many bullets, and so they would just hit people over the head and knock them into these big pits and bury them alive. Um, there were fragments of, you know, of their clo- their clothing out there where the tower is that has that tower of skulls. People may have seen that. It's a huge tower of just people's skulls. It's like a, I don't know why they did that, but now you can see the p- bits of their clothing in the ground still. It was so violent, and people suffered so much. People have no idea now how wicked communism is. They have no idea. Yeah. And I think that brings home the importance of when the Americans and the Allies in World War II liberated the camps. And General Eisenhower said, I want film crews here because I want this filmed 
because no one will ever believe what happened here if we don't do that. And I think given what happened in Cambodia, we have such little knowledge of it, the average person, the average American. If you asked on the street today what happened with the Khmer Rouge, they'd probably look at you like, is that lipstick? I don't know. What is Rouge? Khmer Rouge. Um, and so it, it really is a testament that um, without reminder, we can slip back into the same cycles of behavior. You know, we look back and we go, how could anyone ever have done that? Well, by forgetting about what they did, that's how you can end up doing that again. You know, it reminds me of a book, uh, I think it's called The Sunflower by Simon Wiesenthal. <clears throat> Simon was a, a Jewish prisoner in one of the camps at World War II, and he made this observation, Bruce, you think about the brutality we just talked about of the Cambodians, and they were neighbors, you know, the, the Khmer Rouge were, you know, Cambodians. Uh, Simon Wiesenthal said, um, the people that manned the death camps or that attacked Jews in the streets or conducted the torture or the experiments were not monsters. They were bakers. They were teachers. They were uh, postal workers. They were average people who were drawn into the poison, the Nazi poison, willingly, obviously. They were willing to do it. It was normal, regular, average people who became monsters. And I think that's a good caution that's a good caution for all of us. You know, the Bible makes it clear that we're all capable of anything, for all have sinned. We are not above that, and I think perhaps in our culture we've seen little hints of that, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, you just look at people online. I, I think online has really um, unleashed people's vileness because they can hide behind the Internet. And while they may not actually physically be harming you, they can actually do more harm sometimes through their words by getting a group think going. I mean, you look at how people get attacked these days, whether they be kids in school or people with a, pol a political view. Um, it's, 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 and it's by just what you were just saying, by normal, quote unquote, normal people, just people sitting in their homes, but all of a sudden they just unleash. And it is frightening to me. It is frightening, but it is proof, really, to me, of what the Bible says, and that is that we are born in sin. And that doesn't mean that we were born of the sex act. That means that we were born with a sinful nature, and we willingly sin. And so when we're introduced to that kind of stuff, people, to me, seem to have just willingly jumped on that bandwagon. I think of the COVID restrictions and the, the wickedness that came out from people uh, getting angry at each other and the things that were said. And I just think it's a caution, and I would say... Uh, the bottom line is we all need a Savior. Every person of every race and every country across the globe, we need a Savior. We need someone to forgive and save us from our own depravity. And thank goodness, the good news is we have a Savior. And so we'll talk more about him as these podcasts unfold. But the next time we talk to Morris, we're going to talk about North Korea. Uh, I was in North Korea on 9-11 of 2001. Pretty dramatic story. But Morris has his own dramatic stories about North Korea, so I think that you will enjoy that discussion. But for now, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, podcast today. And let me just remind you that Preborn is our sponsor, and we are so happy to have them as our sponsor. A sponsor makes it possible for us to bring this kind of information to you. And so if you'd like to help them, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. 
And um, so, there you go. So, uh, we'll talk to you the very next time. For now, bye. Bruce, you want to say bye to everybody? Goodbye, everybody. Please. Everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Till next time. Stand by, please, for the second part. You will not be disappointed.